Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, 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 everyone. This is a recording from Life on the Road. Yep, at the time of this recording, I'm on the road. And it is been busy. And so I'm going to keep this uh, this, ep- this little intro for this episode brief. Um, been uh, getting the house ready to go. As you guys know, I announced a few episodes ago, we're going to be moving out to the family farm. And uh, it's been just a crazy whirlwind trying to get everything ready to go, get the house listed and uh, go through that phase of this point of transition. Change is hard. There's all kinds of uh, additional pressure that goes along with that. And The biggest part of that pressure has been time. So I was able to squeeze this episode in and uh, I'm glad I did because it was nice to take a break from the busyness, the craziness and talk some hunting and something that is totally new, something that is totally different, something that is probably one of the biggest adventures you could sign up for. And that would be bear hunting. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of black bear hunting, which uh, maybe a few of you listening in have some experience with. Um, but I'm going to guess if you if you have any experience with brown bear or grizzly hunting, it's going to be a very narrow window of our listeners. And so uh, for probably the vast majority of us, this is a totally new topic. And uh, again, you might be looking at this and be like, you know, I thought this was like for first gen hunters. It is. This is to help you keep dreaming, to kind of show you how our guest, Mr. Brian Hallberg from Contact Outdoors, has grown as a hunter really in the last uh, half of a decade to now being an Alaskan brown bear and grizzly guide. And uh, just a fascinating interview. Brandon and I had a ton of fun recording it. We'll say it a couple other times in the episode, but a big shout out and a big thank you to his coworker Corey for helping point us in the direction of Brian, get us connected, and making this interview a possibility. And uh, one of the most interesting interviews that we've had the privilege to run on this here hunting podcast. So, without any further ado, because I have no more ado to give, because like I just said, super busy right now, let's get on to episode 58 of the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey guys, uh, we are super excited to join you, have you guys join us tonight. We are excited to talk about bear hunting. Um, it's a topic we've been intending to cover for some time, and we actually have my coworker um, Corey to thank for making that possible. Thank you, Corey. Yes, we are. We so appreciate that she was able to connect us with Brian Hallberg, who 
to say that this gentleman has some diverse hunting experience is a huge understatement. Um, Brian is a guy who has accomplished some incredible feats in the woods. Um, and tonight we're planning on getting the lowdown on hunting bears, uh, a couple, actually a couple of different types of bears. And so we're super excited to chat with Brian about this. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We're super lucky to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, a big thank you to Corey for uh, kind of set, set, setting it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. This is, this is, this is a lot of fun and, uh, it's kind of fun having Brandon start out. You know, I always get a little bit of stage fright when I, you know, I'm the one who starts the recording right, and everything. And it's like, uh, what do I say? Uh, but sometimes that's when you get the best thing said, right? Except, right, except right. that, uh, except that weddings, you yes. know, whenever they have like the best man talk, that's when you're really treading on thin ice at the, uh, at the rehearsal, you know, <laughs> grandma and grandpa are there and they're going to tell some embarrassing story right. about their grandson. Right. But no, we're, we're happy to have you tonight. Yeah. I was going to just say, you know, it's pretty cool that, you know, we, to have these connections and for people to say, Hey, what about this individual or that individual, you know, that community aspect and the, the opportunity to bring people on that have so many different, you know, diverse hunting experiences is pretty incredible. So, and you know, this is going to be another one of those adventure type talks tonight. So super excited about that. Yeah, for sure. I echo that 100%. You know, one thing that we've talked about doing differently going into, uh, I don't know, I guess we could almost call this an, a second season of the podcast, although the podcast doesn't run in seasons. We just do episodes. Mm -hmm. But, but, um, one of the things that we, Brandon and I have talked about, we've talked with our, our good buddy, Alex Gruen, who uh, does a lot with us is we want to involve our listeners a little bit more. Now this won't necessarily happen in every episode, but you know, you guys drop us a line, give us a clever comment, a tip. Um, we've had some, uh, we had a good, uh, morel mushroom tip in the comments on, uh, the first in hunter Facebook page from a listener that, mm. that I thought was, uh, you know, really dynamite. And I, I'll probably circle back and, and ask her if we can share that sometime on the show, but, uh, you know, just to encourage you guys to, to reach out to us. We love hearing from you. This is from a listener in, uh, I believe Ohio. Yeah. In Ohio. And, uh, his name is Brad and Brad, uh, sent me a message, uh, just, to you know, pass on a, a good word. And he said, I'll keep this brief. I started hunting four years ago. All right, another first-gen hunter out there. Mm -hmm. uh, last fall, at about mid-September, I started listening to hunting podcasts while at work. While most are knowledgeable, I hadn't heard many of them at all refer to God, faith, or relationship with our Savior until you guys. Keep it up. Well, thank you, Brad. That is the most important thing to Super us. Super encouraging. And, uh, yeah, mm. you know. It's, it's a, uh, it's the number one thing we do, whatever we do, not just a hunting podcast, yeah. but, but, but everything. So, Hey, we appreciate you reaching out to us. Glad you're listening in hope uh, as you're listening to this work, isn't too hard on you, you know? It, it drops on a Thursday, so it's Friday Eve. So, uh, yes. There you so go. Brad, good luck at work today. Thanks for, for reaching out to us. And if you're listening to this and you have uh, something you'd like to pass on to us, we'd, we'd be happy to hear that. And, uh, um, uh, you know, maybe even share it on the show sometime. So big thanks to Brad and a big thanks to Brandon's coworker, Corey, for setting this interview up. But mm -hmm. I want to kind of just get right into it, Brian, with, uh, 
you know, who you are as a hunter, kind of your hunting background a little bit. And I want to start with referencing a video that we're going to, we're going to talk about here again in, oh, maybe 10, 15 minutes from now. But, but, uh, in the video titled respect, it was about your, uh, black bear hunt in 2016. And, uh, you know, correct me if I get the storyline wrong here, but I believe in the video you mentioned this was, uh, one of your first hunts in the West, or maybe it was your first bear hunt in the West or something like that. And, uh, you, um, start out the video kind of like circling back and going and visiting your grandfather. And you told the story about how he, I mean, whenever you're, you're, the nice thing about a podcast, you can develop these stories a little bit longer than you can in a video. So you had to be brief, but you mentioned how your grandfather played this really important role in getting you into the outdoors. Can you kind of uh, explain what exactly, you know, that was like when it was and what, what exactly your grandpa had you doing to, to get you outside as a kid? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, uh, I think I mentioned just briefly in that video, like you're talking about that some of my, my just very first memories, some of the th- things I remember first about my life, um, are moments that I think I had a little Mickey mouse fishing pole, probably <laughs> one of those, mm-hmm. one of those push button Mickey mouse. I had uh, the same one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Poles and uh, just down on the, on the dock, my grandfather teaching me to catch panfish and, uh, we lived on a lake in northern Minnesota. I grew up mostly with uh, my mom, and we lived with my grandparents. So okay. I actually, I actually was very fortunate. Fortunate, and God really had uh, His hand on my life uh, at an early age. Just in in um, in the fact that I feel really blessed to grow up with an older generation. Um, there's some things they instilled into me that my grandparents both that. Uh, mm have really shaped who I am today. And so, yeah, we had, um, you know, just things like we had a, a world war two veteran that lived right down the road was my grandpa's best friend. And he was a medic, uh, and he was involved in the D day landings. And we just, yeah, we just celebrated June 6th. Um, and I kind of put a picture up of him. Uh, and so that's kind of the, that's kind of the environment that I grew up in. Um, and, and my grandfather started me out, I guess, fishing panfish, and and then I think it it transitioned to squirrel hunting and grouse hunting up in northern Minnesota there, and mm-hmm. uh, and then deer hunting, and that was that was kind of my introduction into wildlife. So I kind of um, at times I'm a little bit I'm so grateful for that for how how it started, but I'm I'm. I'm also sometimes a little bit jealous of, of first generation hunters that came to it when they were a bit older for the first time. Cause mm. kind of wonder what that would be like to experience mm. it kind of with a fully developed, uh, you know, you, you just, as a kid, everything you're in awe of everything and you're mm-hmm. not, really, you're not really reasoning anything out. You're just kind of in, you're just kind of participating. And, sure. uh, mm-hmm. so I've thought about that before. What would it, what would it had, what would it have been like to, you know, come to it maybe now I'm 35 years old. And so, um, but yeah, I w- I'm very fortunate to have grown up in that environment and that kind of set the pace for kind of the rest of my life when it came to hunting. Mm. Mm. That's really, 
that's really a, a great story there about how your grandfather was able to help you with that and, and the meaningful relationship that you had with him. You know, I think that's unique uh, that when I was a kid, I, I remember feeling incredibly blessed that my grandparents were still around because growing up, you know, I would say maybe not 50%, but close to that at least had lost one of their four grandparents, you know, and, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of kids, uh, didn't have any left and, uh, just missing that relationship, you know, I think would be, would be, uh, well, I, I would be a different person. Kind of like you said, I'd be a different person if I didn't have that relationship with, with, uh, both of my grandfathers and my grandmothers, uh, growing up and I've, I've gotten to enjoy that. And, and even, uh, now I still have three of my four grandparents still living and I'm, you know, I'll be 32 this, this August. I, I'd say that's, that's, uh, pretty blessed yeah, awesome. right there to that's, yeah to be able to say that so that's yeah great. that's it, it was cool too i've always kind of looked back in my life and it, just as a as a young man i've uh i just have felt blessed to have men in my life older men that have kind of mm. helped shape me and and really you know for a lack of a better term it's almost like hunting discipleship a little bit so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there you go that's yeah. a good way to say it yeah, you're just learning the learning the craft from somebody who's already done it. So yeah, it's uh, that that kind of progressed into uh you know how it goes. You you get into high school and then sports um sports definitely take center stage. They took center stage for me, you know, as they do many and mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of moved away from hunting a bit for a time and then uh played basketball in college. And then after college, I moved to Kentucky and Kentucky is where I actually first started archery hunting. So I'd always hunted with firearms, but, um, I started archery hunting in 2007. And then once, once that started for, you know, whitetail, uh, archery hunting, um, then, then it was like, I, the, the bug really bit me. Sure. I was head mm-hmm. over heels and locked in to that. And, uh, so yeah, it, I, a lot of, a dream and a lot of dreaming and uh and future planning started at that time you know for mm-hmm. things out west i didn't know at that time alaska would become something i'd be involved with um uh, but you know as i think as every young kid growing up in hunting does you, your your goal is to get to alaska i suppose yeah yep. <laughs> yeah yeah right well brian it's, it's kind of cool even reading some of your backstory and it sounds like you were able to connect and create some friendships when you came back to Kentucky, when you're in Kentucky and that kind of further, you know, you getting other people into it and kind of in, enjoying that friendship sounded like it, it made it that much more enjoyable for you and, and your friends as you were doing it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it, when I started archery hunting, it's almost like you go through a phase of you just, you just want to be successful and you want to, and you want to, you know, take animals and you want to have meat in the freezer. And, uh, and, um, and I suppose that was for the first three or four, maybe five years that I was just locked into, you know, it was kind of more about me. Uh, and now, now it's definitely a lot more about others that, that I can even hunt with. I've got a mentor here that, is just an incredible whitetail and turkey hunter. And we went this spring and, and I would have been just as happy if he, if he would have been the one, you know, pulling the trigger on a gobbler this spring and, and me just being there with him, you know? So it, <laughs> it kind of yeah. changes a little bit, uh, you know? Yeah. 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 That's neat. That's neat. How you're referencing, you know, the, the, the maturity process 
of an outdoorsman and you know how early on it's almost like as a kid you know i can remember playing um sega you know 94 madden 94 whatever it was and 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 you know, it was like, my goal is to score like 294 points in this game. I can, you know, I, I knew how to do the onside kick, recover it every single time and yep. then deep shotgun down the left. And I'm going to score every time. And, you know, it's interesting how, like, as a, you know, a younger hunter or someone who has less experience, like you said, it's more about the, the, um, amount, you know, getting out there, getting game. And then as you mature, you're enjoying the experience more and then it, you know, you're trying to get other people to enjoy and enjoy the experience more. So it's kind of cool to see that growth process. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. It's kind of like the art of being present in the moment, you know? And and when I first started hunting, it was getting the stand and my, my, my focus and my attention went to the moment that a deer will walk in front of me. And that was Mm -hmm. all, that was all it was about. Uh, and now when I go sit in the stand, it's about a lot more than that. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. uh, it's about experiencing just that, that alone time with, you know, with God and creation and, um, Mm -hmm. and just really being present and take, taking it all in. And, 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 um, yeah, I think, I think, it definitely, it's, it's, it's maintained, it's hunting has maintained its enjoyment for me, but it's, but it's escalated in its meaningfulness, I guess is probably Mm. the way I'd put it. Good way to say it. You know, it's funny, it's funny that you're mentioning it because, you know, we've, we've talked about, oh, we ought to do a segment, you know, outdoor theology, hunting, (laughs) you know, and how, you know, and how, how you could, you know, grow in your walk with the Lord and enjoy. I love the way you just put that, you know, just being present you know, and, and, uh, there's so much, there's so many connections between the outdoors and life in general, you know, and not just looking, you know, not just waiting for the, uh, you know, uh, to arrive to a, a destination, but enjoying the journey. I think, I feel like hunting in the outdoors embodies that so much. And so it's cool to hear your story of how you've enjoyed that journey and, and how we're all still on that journey of enjoyment. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. I, I liked what you said in there too, about, um, you know, wondering what it would be like knowing how to hunt from a first gen hunter standpoint. Mm. And, um, yes, you know, you mentioned that you kind of got into archery hunting on your own. And, uh, I would imagine that you probably got a little taste of that first. I mean, of course, you know, if you got an animal on the ground, you didn't just look at it and be like, now what (laughs) you knew how to feel, you knew how to feel dressed. You knew how to, you knew what was ahead of you in that standpoint, you knew general areas and you know, that, that deer would seek for food and, and for cover, but, but, um, it's a different ball game in in many ways. And, uh, and I've encouraged in my short time hunting, uh, if somebody's just a gun hunter to take a page from the, the bow hunters, you know, guide on how to get on deer. But, but yeah. in the end, I mean, <laughs> 20 yards is a big difference that from uh, 120 yards. And so, uh, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a whole new lo- level of skill that you had to learn. And, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's, uh, kind of been the growth I would say of, of you just from, uh, as you mentioned earlier, seeing on your social media, the different things you've accomplished and, and, uh, species you've chased after and, and, um, watching the video that we're going to reference for a while here, uh, you had to kind of figure it all out again, several times as you've, uh, chased after different games. So, 
You know, before we transition into that, I do want to give kind of a, a couple chances here for, for people to learn how to follow along with uh, the channel that you have. And um, I believe in in previous conversations that we've had, Brian, um, that you're kind of taking a, a bit of a putting a bit of pause on your channel right now, but hoping to resume again in the in the fall or, or something like that with uh, your channel, which is Contact Outdoors, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We've had a, we've had a social media presence and a podcast, um, and tried to create some films now for a little while, just to, just to connect with the average hunter and try to kind of the same thing you guys are doing is just spread, spread more of the good word. And, um, yeah, we're, we're looking to probably get back to it. Um, in late fall, uh, we've all, everybody kind of in the group has had kids and then (laughs) um, my, my life has drastically transitioned over the last five years. So I'm every, every year I'm, I head to Alaska for a month and a half in the fall. Um, Mm. yeah, that's the, that's the guiding time that I go up there with, with a, with an outfitter friend of mine. And, um, yeah, we're, we're in, in the back country for this year, it'll be 40 days. Wow. Uh, Wow. Yeah. We'll be sleeping in backpacking tents and tarps for 40 days looking for, (laughs) Doll sheep and caribou and um so yeah i've been i've been involved with with some of that for uh that's taken a lot of my time i actually as we're sitting here i'm talking to you guys uh, on the bed behind me in our guest room i have all of my alaska gear laid out and so about two months out i start uh going through it once twice three times four times um until it you know it's almost like an obsession because can't leave anything behind on that trip. That's yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, for sure. right, right. That, that's a bad place to be. Like, man, I really wish I had a, <laughs> you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, right. right. It's gonna it's right. gonna be forty days till you get it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> you know, my well, I've I've talked before on the, in previous episodes. I didn't, of course, grow up hunting, but I, I did do a fairly regular backpacking trip out to the, uh, um, what is it, the Absaroka Beartooth. Um, range in uh montana and um you know we'd go we'd go six miles or so back into the back country there and 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 camp and trout trout fish and stuff like that and uh one of my dad's friends who had been doing the trip for i don't know 30 some years his thing that he would do every year is he would uh smuggle in a bottle of pepsi and then on like day four or five of the trip, all the caffeine addicts, you know, were having withdrawals and, uh, uh, you know, desperate for, desperate for, uh, a Coke or a Pepsi. He'd pull that thing out of his backpack and he'd, he'd start the bidding at, you know, like 10 bucks. <laughs> and, uh, he would, he would always, uh, he'd always come out pretty good on that. So, you know, maybe, maybe you could try that this year. You could, you could find some new, uh, I, I actually, it's a, that's a good point. And that's a cool story. I actually, I do, I do that. I've got a, um, when I, when I fly in, it's a bush flight that lands us on a, on the tundra. And then we set up a, a, a base camp tent and then we hunt, we do two back-to-back sheep hunts from there. So I do have a, a bottle of Coke waiting for me at, at the base <laughs> camp tent. And that, that every year is the best Coke I've ever had. Oh, I bet. Yes. I bet. Yes. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you're, you were just running so low on everything, you know, energy, yeah. good food, good drink. I, I can't speak, lo- I can't speak lowly of the, of the water 
up there that we get to drink though. I mean, the, the rivers, we just drink right out of the rivers and it's glacier water. And Man. Um, oh, nice. you, could, you could start a business if you could bottle that stuff and up and get it home somehow and sell it. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, bet. Yeah. Right, right. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, well, uh, well, that's Brian, living there. You, when I was going to say, what got you into the guiding side of things? Like what, what was the connection that kind of got you into that side of things? So uh, this is something that I thought, you know, when you guys asked me to come on, this is something that I really actually kind of wanted to touch on if we did have the opportunity. And it's, the, it's, you know, I, I never, even now I'm, I'm going into my fifth season and I still have to kind of, you know, pinch myself and feel like I need to wake up and realize the opportunity that I've been given. And it really, it really has a lot less to do with my skill set and hunting prowess or understanding. And it just has to do with being consistent in relationships. So Mm. I, I met a gentleman at the NWTF, the National Wild Turkey Federation convention in, um, at the Grand Ole Opry Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee, about oh, yeah. gosh, um, it's probably been t- almost almost ten years ago now. Um, okay, and he was a you know I'm walking the aisles and I'm I've been I've been hunting whitetail and turkey for a while and and um, starting to plan some trips out west and you know I walk across you know past one of the Alaska booths and uh, there's pictures of grizzly bears and moose and dolphin mm. and you know brown bear and so i i just walked up and and i said you know what uh you know what what what's the what does it look like to to do one of these hunts and i started up a conversation with a gentleman his name's dave marsh um and he we talked for maybe a half an hour and uh he asked for my email uh he said why don't you um, because he, I, he knew that I was planning some trips out West and he had of course done mm-hmm. a ton of that in his, in his lifetime. And so, uh, we exchanged emails and for the next seven years, um, we would, I would reach out, I would let him know. Um, like when I was doing that first black bear hunt in Montana, I, I re- reached out to him with some questions and told him my plan and what I was doing and asked for his input. Um, and just kind of really maintained just a, a level of connection with him. Uh, he's just a real mm-hmm. guy. And he was somebody that, you know, I, I definitely, I looked up to and I still look up to today in, in, in the hunting world. So I thought I'm just going to maintain contact with him, And, um, and I'll never forget the email. He sent me an email in 2016, right after that bear hunt. And he said, uh, Hey Brian, why don't you give me a call sometime? And he left his, his number. And he always signed off pal Dave. And so we had be kind of become like internet pen pals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, so I called him and he, you know, it was a little bit of small talk. And then he said, I was just wondering what your August of 2017 looks like. And I had known enough at that point to know what that meant because yeah. sheep, sheep season is in August. And okay. So he invited me up to Alaska for my first time in 2017 to just be a packer and to help. And, you know, initially it was just going to be to come up there and experience it. And and I thought it would be mm-hmm. kind of be a one and done. And that was actually, you know, kind of my goal with it is just, man, if I could just experience that, uh, yeah. up there and, um, and it, after the first season, he, he really liked the way that I, 
that I uh, helped out and operated. And so he asked me to come back. And now, now, you know, here five years later, I'm, I've got my guide's license and I, uh, hmm. I go up there. I'm kind of Dave's right hand man and taking two sheep hunters, a grizzly hunter, four caribou hunters this year and have taken, uh, moose hunters and brown bear hunters. So, uh, yeah, it's really, wow. yeah, it's a really, hmm. so, so to kind of circle back, just anybody that's out there listening that has these, uh, maybe you've got some relationships that, uh, you know, that, that you have, have had some contact with just don't ever take any of those, uh, for granted because you just yeah. never know, uh, you know, yeah. again, my, my getting into this Alaska thing had nothing to do with, uh, you know, a desirable skill set that I possessed. It, <laughs> it was really just, a, a great guy given, given a young guy an opportunity. So Hmm, that's really cool. Wow, man, what a well, what a set a of experiences. Guy. Yeah, I mean, and and what a how cool to you know, and that's that's what that's what hunting in the outdoors and connecting is all about, you know, and the fact that you were given that opportunity and you know learn you know learn through that yourself. I mean, that's you know because I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of us, you know, guys and girls might look at look at someone like you and we're like, man, I mean, you're like a superhero you know, in, 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 in our eyes and in, in, in the sense of the, you know, as an outdoorsman, like, man, you have all these experiences. And so it's, it's really cool for you to be able to reflect on your specific experience like that, because it's like, man, you know, we, Kent and I often talk, you know, about getting out there, making your adventure happen, you know, planning it. And it's not, it's not as complicated necessarily as a lot of people maybe think about it in their minds. So that's right. a huge encouragement to people. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And usually you know, it's interesting now being in that world some and some of those, you know, there's like you say, it's the superhero thing. I look at some of these guys, Dave included, as still, you mm -hmm. know, as my superheroes, guys that have been yeah. their whole life and the experiences, experiences they've had, um, you know, and, and there's a common theme with all these guys. And it's that someone paved the path before they ever got there and then gave them a chance, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and Dave talks about that often when we're up there in Alaska during the season, you know, we'll be sitting on a hillside glassing and we'll talk about, you know, the John, the gentleman who gave Dave the opportunity and, you know, yeah. and you know, so it's just, uh, I think that's one of the very unique things about hunting, uh, is just the, the, the transition from generation to generation and, and, uh, it's, we're so privileged to have, a, a a tradition that, that operates that way where, where people that have come before us, they really have a desire to make sure that this doesn't go away. So they, they, they make it a point to, to help people get into this, you know, and, yeah. and, it, and, you know, and it can, it can look like, it can look like catching panfish or shooting squirrels. And then it can look like, a doll sheep hunt or a grizzly hunt you know it's just <laughs> there's, there's obviously yes. a big spectrum but to to also mm -hmm. never take never take the squirrels for granted i guess would be <laughs> yeah, yeah right well said yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep that's a that's a great way to put it for sure So 
this episode is geared for possibly a higher level of experience hunter I'm gonna give a true first-gen hunter tip and that is the beauty of a body tarp whoa that sounds criminal yeah, it kind of looks that way too after you pull it out of your truck. But you will thank yourself many times over, especially when the cool, crisp weather of a hunting season has given way to the blistering heat that cooks, bakes, and otherwise destroys most wonderful things that uh, we enjoy. And uh, the purpose of the body tarp is not for hauling around your worst enemy. That's bad. People go to jail for a long time for that. This body tarp is for when you fill a tag while hunting some kind of big game. So uh, for me, around here in the whitetail state <laughs> of Iowa, uh, use it for deer, right? And uh, what, I'm, what I'm talking about here is after you've loaded the deer up into, or well, actually before you've loaded the deer up into your truck, you want to have a large enough tarp to go down on the base of the truck okay the reason for that being is that deer is probably going to leak out quite a bit of blood in transit especially if you have a fair amount of driving to do to get from uh, where you're hunting to back home now for a hunt like we're talking about here where you're you're bear hunting unless you live in montana or uh, i suppose maybe a northern midwestern state or i think there's some bear hunting maybe now available in missouri and arkansas possibly um or you know you even i guess there's lots of states where you can hunt bears all right i'm tired it's late i'm on the road i said that in the in, in the intro <laughs> but but uh Unless you're in-state, you're probably going to have to have that animal pretty well butchered just because there's all kinds of uh, animal disease laws that, that are in effect there where they're trying to prevent uh, you know, transmission of that from one state to the next. And so usually you have to have the meat deboned at least. So you'll probably have that meat packed away in a cooler. But if you have the whole, the whole animal intact in the back of your truck other than being field dressed it's going to be leaking blood everywhere and so you're going to want to put down a tarp and the reason for that is it helps keep that blood on the tarp and from getting down into the nooks and crannies of the bed of your truck or worse yet you have an suv you fold the seats down the kids go to sit down in their sunday best on the way to church on sunday and they get there and you think that uh you know something terrible's happened right so uh you want to try and keep everything as as clean as possible so i strongly recommend you pick up a oversized tarp the other reason for that is um you know if you really shoot a, a giant animal and you can't fit it into the back of your suv or uh, if you have a smaller truck you can't quite fit it back there especially when you start looking at all your other hunting gear tubs and stuff you may need to strap it down on like one of those little uh those little uh hauler crate things that go out of your hitch receiver on the back of your truck or maybe even up on the roof of your of your suv and you want to be able to fully wrap that thing you don't want any road salt or you know there, people joke about like having a deer strapped to the hood of their vehicle or whatever to show off and i'm going to tell you right now that's going to send the wrong message a whole lot more often than it's going to send the right message to people about hunters so like uh, i i get in my opinion getting a you know maybe a 
at least a, a 10 by 12 or something like that. It's probably a good size, maybe even a little bigger than that. So you can fully wrap that thing up. Keep your vehicle clean. You'll thank yourself later. So tip of the day, if you're brand new to hunting, going out for deer season, elk season, whatever, if you're going to be hauling a critter in the back of your truck, make sure you got yourself a body tarp. All right, let's go ahead and get back to episode 58 here an interview with Mr. Brian Hallberg. Well, Let's go ahead now, and we we keep referencing it here. <laughs> Let's go ahead and dive into the video respect on that. It, it was your first black bear hunt, right, right, Brian? Yep, it was. Yep, my first uh, first Western black bear hunt, and for, yeah, first black bear hunt uh, period, actually, um, and out in Montana. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, that was the other thing I was wondering. I'm sure you mentioned it in the video, but I, I think I missed it. But so it's in Montana. And um, you know, I'm gonna let, let me just start in this way. If if Brian's okay with it, I'm probably going to share the video on uh on uh my Facebook page, First Gen Hunter Facebook page. So if you're yeah. listening to this, you can find it. Go to his website, check out his other content. It's well worth your time. But this sure. video I have watched, and I was, I was telling this to Brian earlier today after I, you know, tried to gather some more information on on who we're going to be talking to and everything. And, um, you know, I've watched, in fact, I remember the very first video of that nature that I ever saw. It was this video put out by Yeti, oh, maybe five or six years ago. And it was uh, these three guys who did a float trip for, for moose on, uh, on the Yukon, I think is where they were. And, um, so I've seen these t styles of, of videos where it's not just, you know, like a vlog type thing. It, it's a production and uh, they're, they're fantastic, super entertaining. This is one of the best I've seen though. In countless hours of watching those films, this was one of the best ones I saw. And I believe Brian, you guys entered, you were, you were filming with the purpose of entering the end product into a, a film contest, correct? Yeah, a film festival called Full Draw Film Tour, and they actually still operate. They've got incredible, incredible stuff, um, and they they take their films. So if you put an entry in, they'll choose you know among all the entries that come in, they'll choose six or seven of them, and then they'll travel throughout the Midwest, West, um, uh, and play them in small theaters and in, in in little towns and invite mm, people. That is to cool. Giveaways, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Yep, that is really wow. cool. I got to check that out. <laughs> I hope yeah. they uh, I hope they come near me because I want to go to one of those. That sounds really fun. Yeah, right. But uh, <laughs> this was it's well worth your time. The video is is it's titled Respect, correct, Brian? That's the name of the the video. Respect. Yes, sir. Yep. And uh, it 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 basically goes from I think you guys took off in Minnesota and then headed to Montana, and uh, and you know, gets going right away into the hunt and, uh, you get to see a little bit of that, 
those emotions probably would be a good way to describe getting into it right off the bat. Maybe a little bit of apprehension and anxiety leaving the the truck and heading into the back country. And uh, um, you guys kept referencing this uh, pretty uh, it looked like a pretty uh, rough creek crossing to get from the truck to uh happy hunting grounds on the other side there just a kind of like a a good like a tough tough little hurdle to start things out on but um you uh then uh took off and i think your first day if i remember correctly in the video you guys ran into some pretty deep snow had to turn back and then something nearly trip ending happened right yeah yeah i lost one of my boots down that down that uh creek and it's it's funny it's funny too now because i i look back at that from now and i just i'll watch that and i'll just shake my head and just think what were we doing over the last over the last five years things in the hunting world have um drastically you know changed for me and and so to look back on that time i i look back on it with a lot of fondness because we were just so green into it we had no idea what we were doing um, and yeah, so I, I actually, luckily I had some, they're called Minnetonka moccasins. They're made in Minnesota. Yes. Um, I luckily I had a pair of those because I, uh, this is, I guess is a tip for anybody going out West. Most people should already know this, but I, I, uh, I took my boots off and the Creek wasn't very wide, but it was rushing pretty fast. And I thought, I'm just going to throw my boots across and then and walk across oh. Yeah, and the the laces got hung up on my hand when I when I tossed them. And yeah, so uh one of them I was able to to save and the other one was still out there somewhere down <laughs> in, you know, in it's the in bottom the, of the lake. It's, a, it's <laughs> in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was that actually oh, man. Being, it's funny how things work though. That ended up being on the the couple stocks that I take on on two different bears that you'll watch in that film with those moccasins, I was like a ninja. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so what I, I was wondering. I was like, you know, when I was watching you sneak up, there, I was like, I wonder if he's glad he's got those moccasins on now. And then the other thing I was wondering was, did you ever send a letter to Minnetonka and ask for a sponsorship? <laughs> yeah, I thought about it. I actually still have those. I actually still have them and. Uh, wow. I've, I've brought them out to other Western hunts I've done and put them in my backpack and on a stock, I'll throw them on just because yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. They're just so quiet. So yeah, that, uh, it's kind of funny. I've still got them. Yeah. I've seen people get down into their socks and I just, uh, I don't know that I would uh, be that dedicated to get down into my socks and walk over like cactus spines and, and, you know, <laughs> rattlesnake country and stuff like that to, get a shot at a mule deer or something like that. But I see guys do it. I think I'd be happy to have those moccasins in that scenario. So uh, that was, yep. that, that was a good little piece in there. I'm glad you guys, I'm glad it made the final cut. Cause I think it ended up being a, probably in some ways a bit of a, a player in the game. So that was, that was yep. pretty cool, but you know, kind of almost from a first gen hunter perspective, what was your honest expectation you know, when you, when you set out for this, for this hunt, and maybe I should even add this into my question here too, you know, why black bears and why Montana? And then, you know, when you decided that and you drew a tag, what was your, like, what was your expectation headed out there? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I, um, so I grew up in Northern Minnesota and there's, there's plenty of black bears right in my backyard there. Uh, and I, there's a lot of different ways, uh, based on regulations to hunt black bears in the Mm -hmm. lower 48. And, you know, you can, you can do set up a bait site and get bears to come in and, uh, like in Minnesota, that's, that's the, the way most people do it just because the, 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 uh, the forests are so thick and the swamps, you just would never see a black bear if you didn't do that. Sure. Um, right. So that's kind of, that's kind of the way to get them in close and get an opportunity at one. Uh, there's states that you can run black bears with dogs and tree them almost like you would do a mountain lion hunt. Um, and, but the, the spot and stock, the spot and stock Avenue was something that had always been very, just, I think just from getting into bow hunting and, and stand hunting and hunting out of a ground blind here in Kentucky, when I first started doing that, the idea of spot and stocking an animal really, really kind of clicked in my mind as something that I wanted to try. So, um, the, the, really the only reason Montana was because, uh, I knew that some of the areas had high density of black bears, but also the only way that you can hunt black bears in Montana is spot and stock. Hmm. So you can't bait them and you can't run them with dogs there. Like for instance, across the border in Idaho, uh, you're allowed to bait black bears in Idaho. So, um, that it's, it, the, my thought process was kind of like, it levels the playing field and it levels the opportunity mm. that all those bears are going to be kind of, for the most part, doing something in their natural environment. Sure. And so, you know, where I might go yeah. somewhere else and bears are being attracted to bait. And so I'm not seeing them in places where I'm trying to spot and stock. It would have, it would have been a, a difficult situation. I maybe wouldn't have been as successful in seeing, seeing what I wanted to see. So, um, I, I actually called a couple biologists and a couple areas out there. And this is something I would do if, if somebody, if you were considering going out there, uh, called and asked about, uh, bear densities and kind of their, their spring activity a little bit. Hmm. How they, Great they, idea. Yeah. And that was very informative. Um, as much as the wisest, oldest hunter knows, uh, you know, there's, there's people that I've been around that seem like they're magicians when it comes to hunting, but some of these biologists in these areas, all they do every day is, is live, sleep, breathe, and eat, you know, the animal that they're studying, yeah. yep. you know, yeah. so it, um, you know, and, and some of those people aren't even hunters, but they, they definitely right. know what the bears are doing and when they're doing it and, uh, what to look for and how to, how the bears are going to be acting. So that was something that well, was a smart idea. Really yeah, smart. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I had heard that from, um, you know, a gentleman that I know, he said, you know, it'd be a good idea. He kind of gave me that tip to call. And so I called a few places and then, um, yeah, it was, it was the spot and stock with thing was very attractive to me. And then Montana, when I found out that was a state that you could do that also, uh, Montana is, you know, you just buy a tag over the counter. There's no draw for a black bear tag. You, can buy one uh, a tag and then you actually have the choice you can sh- you can hunt it with a with a firearm or or a bow so oh wow yeah oh, that's awesome yeah. that's yeah. really cool yep and, and so so did so what was your what was your you know did you feel pretty confident about the potential out there you know in terms of your expectation going out how did, how did you feel heading out there 
Uh, I was pretty realistic just because before then I had done, I had done enough hunting before then to, to kind of maintain a realistic perspective. So, so honestly, yeah. I was excited for the trip and the experience, but I knew the, the chances of arrow, arrowing a black bear spot and stock on the ground were very low and we would probably be, you know, driving home without one, mm. you know, that, that mm. was, mm-hmm. I, it was, it was kind of like, um, I just kind of have to ask myself the question every time I do a hunt like that. Am I okay with spending the money, taking the time off and, and, and planning, uh, a trip like this? If I knew I wasn't going to get one before I went, would I still do it? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because even when you don't get something, you learn a ton. I've actually, Oh yeah. I've actually learned a lot more. I've been back a number of times and I've learned a lot more not getting one than I learned the first year. Um, yeah, sure. You know? Um, so yeah, I had a, I would say a very low expectation of actually being successful when it comes to the hunting aspect. And, Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm pretty, I'm, I guess I'm pretty straight lined on hunting itself. Like I, I, Sometimes I think in hunting media these days, we, we try to give the impression that it's not about the hunt and it's just about the experience. But if that were the case, we wouldn't buy a tag and carry it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah well we, said. We buy a tag because that's the goal. And so, and it's okay to go on a trip and, and not fulfill the main goal, but you can still have a great experience and learn some things, you know? So, yeah. um, well see, said. All, all that much better when it does come together. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yes, that's a great point. Yes. I mean, we kind of get in that mode of, of you ever have one of those friends who just likes their toys, you know, whether it be new guns, new ATV, they're like, well, I really needed this because X, Y, and Z. It's like, dude, just get it. Cause you wanted it. <laughs> you know, right. that's, a, yeah, that's yeah, enough. Right. <laughs> that's, that's why well, you're not fooling me here and you're not fooling yourself and you're definitely not fooling your wife. So right. uh, <laughs> you got it, you got it. Cause you liked it. So yeah, when we go hunting, it's not, you're right. It's not just because of the adventure and the, the camaraderie and, and all that, that stuff is super high on the list. But at the yeah. end of the day, we like uh, stepping on to the uh, landscape as a predator and right, uh, ready, right. ready yep. to roll our own dice and, and try yep. and make something happen. So no, I, I could, I could go to Montana and, and, and do exactly what I did without spending the $350 for the bear tag, you know, just (laughs) going out there and hiking around. And I, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest stocking up on a bear, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no kidding. (laughs) But yeah, it's, uh, definitely, I'm, I think, I think it's good to recognize that because if, if we're not careful, we can, we can get into the mode of, um, well, I, I think it's, it speaks a little bit larger to just our, our culture and the way that our society is today is that when we're not successful, we will, will downplay the experience to not really be about the goal. And I think that does us a disservice just mm-hmm. as, as people, but also as hunters, if, if we're striving for that main goal to actually, to actually kill an animal and bring home meat, then uh, then when we're realistic about that, it makes us better every time. Uh, but if we, if yeah, we just try to, you know, well, just was unlucky or it could be that you need to be better. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yep, yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, I mean, yeah, at, that's, at point, that's a awesome perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, at some point, uh, it's very easy to get into that kind of lazy mentality of, you know, well, it just didn't happen for me this year or last year or the year before or the year, <laughs> you know, and then, and yep. then, yeah, yeah, you know, you start talking to them and it's like, well, maybe, maybe you should try something different, you know? So I think, right. I think that's how you get better at anything. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Be realistic. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, that's a great point, Brian. And I mean, you know, when you think about it from a first gen hunter standpoint, you know, first gen hunters aren't necessarily, you know, children at the age of five, but it's like when you, you know, when you take your, your, you know, I just took my son and daughter out fishing the other day. Um, they're six and four, you know, I didn't take them on a deep sea trip, you know, for a possible chance to catch a tuna. I took them, <laughs> you know, just like you went with your grandfather, you know, pan fishing yep. and, you know, same thing with first gen hunters, you know, um, yes, the experience is awesome, but you know, also if you want someone to stick with it, it's good for them to see some success and actually, you know, see some things, have some experiences that are going to lend itself towards them sticking with it. So yeah. great point. It is very easy to just say, uh, I was just, you know, I was just, you know, having fun anyway. I didn't need to, you know, whatever versus actually striving to be better. So man, I love that yeah. point. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was a well, that was a well-timed statement. Brandon, because I wanted to transition to that first gen focus here within the uh, within the video. There was a moment, and listeners will know this well because they've heard the story enough times to make them puke. But uh, <laughs> the the story of my uh, failed opportunity this last fall on my first archery buck uh, didn't get didn't get a lethal hit on him, and uh, when you missed on your first attempt. Yep. And we're, we're giving away some of the drama here. So still That's watch right. the video. It's, it's well worth. And <laughs> when you watch that video, you're going to swear he didn't miss. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to think, you're going to think he was right on the money there. Cause I could not figure out why is he so depressed? He just drilled that thing and then no cl <laughs> clean arrow. But, but when you missed on that first shot, I felt again, it, you know, Anytime you miss on an animal, it's, it's incredibly disappointing. Um, but I would say that when you miss on a squirrel, it's very disappointing, but it's not near as disappointing with missing on a deer. And when you miss on a deer, yeah. it's not as disappointing as missing on a black bear that you've traveled over a thousand miles, <laughs> put all <laughs> kinds of money into, and really didn't yeah. think you were going to come away with anything. And you just watched it slip through your fingers and uh, you got to go home in a few days. Right, that right. I got to think is a true gut punch. And, you know, I think as I talk to more and more, that's been one of the greatest benefits for me personally of running this show is I get to talk to all kinds of people like you who, uh, just figure out how to get it done in the woods. And I think what kind of separates guys such as yourself from, from the hunter taking on a new experience, whether that be a first gen hunter and every hunting experience is a new experience or somebody like Brandon, who's hunted in one area most of his life, but has aspirations for heading West or heading South or, or, or wherever and trying something new. When you fall off the horse and you get kicked in the stomach like that, I think people kind of go two different routes. And if I got to be honest with myself a little bit, um, 
I kind of went the wrong route after I fell off the horse this fall. When I missed that deer and, uh, you know, just as I would see these faint little tiny drops of blood as we trailed that thing for hours, that old doubt monster just crept up in my mind and I just felt like I'm, I'm not going to make it happen this year. This just, this with, with my bow, this was it. This was the peak. And yeah, I was super thankful for the experience. I was super thankful for the learning opportunity. I was very thankful for getting to share that tracking time with my wife, but it, I, I let it keep me down. But people who go on to get it done, they shake it off. How did you get yourself mentally recuperated to get back on the horse and say, you know what? I'm going to lace my moccasins back up and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to show up here and I'm going to get another opportunity. Maybe I won't, but if I do, I'm going to make it, it's going to be a slam dunk. How did you get yourself into that track that, that helped you later on? Yeah, gosh, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I think, you know, one thing to recognize up front is that as much as, as much as we've got a goal in mind, sometimes, and this can happen in life too, but, but with hunting, it happens often that, that, like you said, failures will either motivate you to continue down the path or they'll stifle you and you, and you, you have a really hard time shaking them. And, mm. um, and I think, I think one of the things that has helped me is to have a perspective about what I'm doing. So, um, you know, have a perspective about the things in life, about what family means and what your wife or your kids mean. At the time I didn't have kids, but I was married. Um, and you know it's and i don't want to downplay the seriousness of of what you know what we try to do and i think you know i'm a big proponent of of i mean i shot my bow thousands of times before mm. i went there and and um it doesn't show this on the film but we we hiked back to camp and uh and i had a target there and i shot probably 50 arrows at 42 yards and and mm. and I, every single one of them was just right on the money. I mean, I was hitting oh. I was hitting like within a within a fist size group hmm. from 42 yards, probably 50 shots I took just over and over and over cuz I was I just couldn't believe it. I had I had practiced so much. And the actual the part in the film where I'm knelt down talking um about how disappointed I was. Yeah. Uh, you were sick, man. You could see it. Yeah, you were, you were yeah. sick. Yeah. And I didn't actually know that my, my buddy Cody who filmed the whole thing, I actually didn't know that he had the camera on and oh. he just, he just was filming. And some of the yeah. things I was saying, and I want to get back to that perspective thing because it was a gut wrenching thing to think, man, these guys have come all the way out here with me. We're hiking in these mountains, trying to find a bear. Mm -hmm. And this was the, you know, we're trying to make a film, you know, it even adds, even adds a little more frustration to the moment because that was your chance. And, mm. you know, in your mind is, can I get that close again? And all of the things that come together with that. 
but the perspective of um, being able to say, okay, I can look back in, and even if, even if it's not in hunting, I can look back in moments of my life where things went really bad and then look at how they turned around. And, um, and, and, and for me in that moment, I thought about a lot of other hunting experiences I had had that went horribly wrong. And then, you know, just like that, they turned around completely. <laughs> and, um, and if you don't have enough hunting experience to, to have those, to have those moments to look back on, just think about life, you know, when something really heart wrenching or gut wrenching happens, uh, think about how that turned around and fo- and put your focus on that. Cause it's way too easy for us as humans to focus on the negative. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's why there's news, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, yeah. Yes. The yeah. Only reason there's news is because people love to hear negative things. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I did. And, and, and it's interesting now looking back at that moment because I, I shot at that bear and I did in the moment for a, for, I'd say for about 10 seconds, I thought, that bear is dead. I, I drilled it and it's going to run into that wood line and, and we're going to go in there and, uh, and find it. And, uh, in that little bit of kind of replaying the shot in my mind and then Cody had it on film. So we're able to watch that back. Um, mm-hmm. realized that I missed, we went down there and I found my clean arrow and it's interesting. My perspective now on that, you know, if, if I was back in that moment, it's not that I wouldn't be disappointed if I missed again, but I would be ecstatic that I found a clean arrow. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Yep. You know, and and it almost when I look back at that moment where I'm where I'm kind of complaining there and self-loathing, I I look at myself there and think, okay, you know, it's tough to miss, but at least you missed cleanly and you didn't. Yes. And pierce that animal and he's out, you know, that yeah. out there bleeding and you know he's gonna live, but you just don't ever want to wound anything. And so I, I yeah. look back, I look back at that and I think, uh, that is in that heart wrenching moment for me back then, uh, I've grown so much now. And, it, and I think that's a really good perspective to carry in to any hunting that you do, um, mm-hmm. life as well, but any hunting specifically, because as you guys know, things can turn around drastically in a moment and yeah. yeah. You know, and, and there's, there's a lot of redemption to be found in hunting. So yeah, it's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point you made too. And one that I didn't really think about until later either is having that clean arrow was a, was a ticket to be able to keep going hard because when you do have that blood on the arrow, now you have the duty to follow a blood trail that you probably know is going to lead to nothing because that bear is going to survive. He's just going to stay a hundred yards ahead of you. Cause they have noses like none other. <laughs> and, yep. uh, you're, you're, you're going to be chasing your tail, essentially trying to follow this, this endless blood trail and ruining all your hunting and blowing up that whole area. So yeah, that yeah. was, that, that, that was a huge moment right there when you found that clean arrow and, and just the fact that you did find your arrow. Cause even if you didn't find your arrow, you would have been out there probably for hours, I mean, that was pretty much a dusk when, when you let that arrow go, but you would have been out there for the remainder of light trying to find it or trying to find blood, getting your scent mm-hmm. everywhere, everybody's scent everywhere. And then you would have had to go out again in the morning and do the same thing for several hours until mm-hmm. you, you know, felt good that you missed. But, but, uh, that, that 
was a, a huge, I'd say a pivotal moment in the hunt. You know, one other thing though, that I thought of while you were doing this and maybe it's the power of the moccasins, but, but, uh, <laughs> bears have such an incredible sense of smell and that bear, maybe he knew you were there. Maybe he didn't, but it was as if he couldn't care less that somebody was creeping up on him. So it made me think he doesn't smell him. Now, how did you play the wind game with him there? Were you just, were you just um, downwind of him so well that, that your scent stream was going straight back off of you away from him or, or did you uh, use some kind of scent killer? Was it something with your gear? How did you manage to get undetected and get into 42 yards without him? Even as much as, at least from what I could see in the video, standing up on his hind legs and be like, who are you? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, what, what we did is this, this is one thing I had known and actually it helped me emailing the, the gentleman that I go to Alaska with Dave. He basically right off the bat said to me, the number one thing with bears that you need to think about is their nose because you're not going to beat it. Mm. Mm. Um, they will. And I, and I, and I'll share a story from Alaska here in a second, but, um, that's something that I witnessed that was unbelievable. But the, um, there really is, there's no, there's really no way around having the wind in your favor. And, and even then, and, and guys who bear hunt a lot will say this and, and you, you kind of toss it around in stories, but even, even then it seems like the closer you get to a bear and, and, and the, the, the longer you're in a, in a close proximity to a bear, they just, they just know something's going on. And, um, I'm pretty convinced, you know, a lot of people, so when they shoot, you know, bears over bait and they bait and, 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 and baiting, I have nothing against baiting at all. So going out to Montana and doing a spot and stock was not, was, wasn't a jab towards baiting bears um, because that's a lot of work. And to get the consistency of a bear hitting your bait and then be in the stand Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, but I'm convinced that about 95% of the time, the bear knows that there's a human in close proximity and they're just deciding how much risk versus reward it will be to go to that bait. Hmm. Um, right. A lot of times if you watch closely and you watch hunts over bait, a bear will actually come in and look right at the person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they know, they know something they're just deciding. I mean, they've got a, the, the, the thing that drives them is their stomach. So they, mm-hmm. you know, and when you've got cake and brownies and movie theater popcorn, I'd honestly, I'd probably be the same way. Yeah, I'd that's a, right. Yeah. I'd be a bear rug on somebody's wall. Cause I'd have to go in and get my, <laughs> you know, I had a, I had a, I had a great question I wanted to put on social media this, uh, this fall, but I forgot to do it. And I, I, I go through these periods about two or three times a year. Usually one of them is on a long road trip where I get totally hopelessly addicted to, um, in the shell pistachios. I mean, just okay. pe- peeling those things. I mean, one of these times I'm going to lose a tooth yeah. because I, I like to leave no, no, uh, no, no pistachio unshelled, but, um, you know, as I was looking at my mound, this impressive mound of shells, I was like, you know what? 
this is the bait pile I would get killed over. <laughs> so yeah. I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna yeah. pose there the question: go. what What would be the bait pile that you would get? You would take an arrow over. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that's a good question. For me, Any, for anything, me. <laughs> anything chocolate. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a nut for chocolate. Anything chocolate, I would. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd be in big trouble. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. It's funny to think about, you know, if, uh, if we're on the other side of the, what, what's the saying? It ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. So right. uh, yes. that would be, that would be my situation. That would be very dangerous for me is a pile of pistachios there in the middle of the woods. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Be a goner. With the, so I guess maybe in a little bit more specifics and kind of some things that your listeners can take home as ideas for how to, um, how to approach the, the wind direction, because there won't be with bears any, there won't be any way around it in terms of, you know, scent killer or anything gear wise, you're going to have to make sure that, that, uh, the wind is in your face when you're, when you're mm. on the, um, because, uh, they're, they're just, it's just, it's almost supernatural the way mm-hmm. that the way that they can smell. So what we did is we found, um, in the area we, we went, you hear a lot about hunting spring bears in, in the mountains near, you know, kind of snow slides or avalanche slides, uh, where the, the snowpack falls away. And then, and then that area greens up with grass first before other areas around. And it almost creates a, it almost creates, um, in, in essence, a bait pile, but it's natural. Sure. So, um, we were in an area where it was very green, uh, out in the open, but the inside of the wood line was still relatively Brown. Mm -hmm. So, what happens is you want to look for the elevation when you hunt in the mountains for bears. You want to look for the elevations where inside the wood line it's still brown because it's high enough in elevation that that it hasn't um, the sun hasn't been able to make the shaded areas grow uh, right. full uh, so that bears can can just stay inside the wood line and eat because they don't like coming out in the open. Sure. Um, yeah they'd rather sit inside the wood line and eat grass. So a lot of times when guys go out West and they go on a bear hunt, they're like, man, I didn't see any bears. And then the first thing I ask them is, um, did you pay attention to, was it green inside the wood line? Uh, and then, and then also green in the open, because if it was green in both, uh, bears are smart enough to know that, that coming out in the open, isn't there, isn't best for them. Sure. So Yeah. That's a good um, tip. That's a, that's a really good tip. <laughs> yeah when you get into an area try to find that elevation where where that change still exists where it's green in the open and brown inside the wood line so we were in an area like that and we had actually seen a couple bears come out in that that area so it was kind of a big long strip and what we did is every day we would notice and try to see what would the, what the predominant wind is was and then we would decide which side of that open um, that open, uh, green area we were going to set up on for the evening. Hmm. So mm-hmm. if the wind, you know, if the wind was out of the West, uh, we'd set up on the East. If it was out of the East, we'd set up on the West so that when, when a bear came out, we would already be downwind of it. Sure. Um, and, uh, and we kind of, we kind of located where exactly where they were coming out. So the idea would be if we had set up with the wind bad, those bears probably wouldn't have ever even come out. 
Hmm. You know, because they would, they could, they could have smelled us easily from 400 or 500 yards away. And they, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't even have come out into the open probably. So um, that's so important. And and if you come into a place where you, where you see a bear already um, from a distance or you glass up a bear, just always know that no matter what, you've got to get the wind in your favor um, because you're not going to, you're not going to be able to, to outdo their nose. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's reality. That's, yeah. that's good. That's good to know that. Yeah. I, I, you do kind of when you watch the the subtlety of their their posture, you do kind of get. I, again, I was pretty well fooled by the one you were stalking, but but I I agree when you see especially on bait pile videos that just the posture of that bear it's like they're they're on alert. It's not just uh, and yeah. so I think that they're that that's yeah that that speaks to that that uh you know reality of. Yeah, they know something's up and, and you yep. just can't beat their, you can't beat their nose. You can't, you can't be in the same place as them and them not smelling you. So I think that's, but yeah, again, the wind is probably the, as, as our buddy Noel Gandy would say, Brandon, the wind is your friend. And, uh, yeah, it's true for whitetails and true for true, true for black bears. Well, yeah. Well, well, we were, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say this real quick that that story I mentioned about Alaska. So when um, probably three years ago, Dave and I were sitting at base camp and we were waiting for our next hunter to come in. And so we decided to do a hike and everything there. We're actually in the Brooks Range in Alaska. So way, way, way northeast Alaska, um, mm. 120 miles north of the Arctic Circle. So it's way wow. up there. Yeah, there aren't there aren't many trees uh, when we're in sheep country, there aren't any trees. Hmm. Um, mm. And we see probably on average five, you know, five, five or so grizzlies a day. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. There, there's a lot of grizzly bears up there. So, um, we saw, uh, we went on a hike, we crossed the river and we went up into this area. We actually call bear Valley and we were kind of, we were kind of going to come up over this saddle and then glass for a while off into the distant country, kind of see what it looked like maybe for our, our sheep prospects and then mm-hmm. come back to camp. So it was about maybe a, an eight mile round trip hike for, for the day. Um, when we entered into this place we call Bear Valley is this kind of drainage coming out of the mountains. We walked through there and then walked back through kind of in the same spot. So there's obviously no trails up there. The, the trails are actually you know, thousands of year old caribou trails that have been just pounded into the tongue. Mm-hmm. So that's what we use as a trail. So as we passed through on our way out to glass and then back, we kind of came through the same area. The next morning, uh, Dave and I woke up and we're kind of glassing. We've got our binoculars out and we see a grizzly with a cub uh, out probably two and a half miles. And she is walking at the base of the mountain, getting ready to go into that bear valley area and she uh before she ever got there dave said hey watch this and that bear walked the 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 female the sow was leading and walked and stopped dead in her tracks when she hit where we walked through the day Mm. before and and it had rained hard the night the the night we got back wow yeah, it had rained really hard and she stopped dead in her tracks, turned around and like 
swatted her cub to go back the way they came. And, um, wow. and to just think that, you know, their, their nose is that, that attuned, you know, it's just, there's no way that you're going to be able to, to get close enough being, de- being actually, uh, you know, upwind of them to make anything happen. I think it was a, a guy I listened to one time. He was talking about the similarities in bears and then dogs, you know, like canines, noses, some of those hmm. canines that they use for cadavers and stuff. And he said, you know, when a, when a person walks into a room where a cake is being baked, they, you know, you can smell that good aroma of a cake being baked. Right. He's, the only way to kind of comprehend how good a bear or a dog would be at smelling uh, or their sense of smell is when they would walk into the room, they wouldn't smell cake. They would smell, they would smell sugar, butter, milk, eggs. Um, they, mm. they would smell every individual ingredient. Man. So, yeah. So I thought that was a really kind yeah. of unique way to put it into perspective. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I, I remember not that long ago reading a book to my son, you know, it was a animal attack book or something. And it mentioned that a grizzly bear is thought to have the best sense of smell above any other animal out there at all completely. You know, it said something like um, a, it was something like um, a dog sense of smell is like a hundred times better than a human and a bear's sense of smell, uh, a bloodhound's sense of smell is like 300 times better than, than a human. And a grizzly bear's sense of smell is seven times better than a bloodhound. Um, and it's just something crazy like that. And so just what you're mentioning, I mean, after a heavy rain and then, I yeah. mean, it's just incredible, you know? Yeah. yeah, they do. And, and when we, now that we've, you know, I've been a part of, of some guys killing a few and, and, um, when you when you cape the bear out, I've caped some of those bears out and you get their skull out and you see the intricate workings and detail of their nasal passages. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, I think I've got a picture on my Instagram maybe, uh, that I posted about that because, you know, everybody thinks of teeth and claws when they think of a bear. But but the thing mm-hmm. that I'm enamored with most is is definitely their nose and their capability. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that. It really is amazing, and and I've I've heard that yeah. before too. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's, I believe it's multiple thousands times more strong than our sense of of smell. Yeah, um, just just possibly the the best nose on the planet belongs to to mm-hmm. a grizzly bear but that's where we want to go next here with our conversation we we've talked yeah. this we talked about this black bear we got some good tips there but uh, a, a friend of ours in a previous episode of this show if you're a longtime listener and uh or you know maybe you're a, a, a new listener and you've just been binging or something if you can tell us who this guy is i will mail you send me your mailing address and i will mail you a first gen hunter decal if you can name who the previous guest was that mentioned a grizzly hunt in alaska maybe it's a brown bear hunt one of the two although technically you know we talked about biologists don't biologists classify grizzlies and brown bears as one and the same now brian 
Um, yeah, so that was something I was really interested in when I got involved. So it's very interesting. So they, grizzly bears and brown bears are the exact same species. Mm-hmm. So, so the DNA, um, wise, they're exactly, um, you know, the, 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 the makeup of, of grizzlies and brown bears are the exact same, uh, species, but the classification, like you'll hear sometimes a lot of people will in error say that a brown bear is anything 200 miles from the coast um, and then a grizzly is anything further than 200 miles from the coast. And it actually has to do with the 62nd parallel north uh, latitude line. Oh, so, okay. So anything above the 62nd parallel lati- circle of latitude line Anything north of that is a grizzly bear, and anything south of that is a brown bear. But where it gets confusing is in Canada, everything's a grizzly bear. Hmm. So there are bears in Canada that are north of that line that are still they're still called grizzly bears, even though um, even though we we would in Alaska that 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 you know you, you would uh, I'm sorry south of that line you would call them a brown bear in Alaska but they're still a grizzly bear in Canada so it's a little bit confusing but wow. the easiest way to remember it is that latitude line of 62 degrees anything above it in Alaska is a grizzly and anything below it is a brown bear. Hmm. Man, yeah. that's that's wow. uh that's that's good to hear that that delineation and if you're listening to this you're like well how can they be the same species but have that determination well you know from a scientific standpoint so here's my little uh, biology teacher lecture for you here if you're listening in from a from a biology standpoint when we when you classify species it's based on uh, what what Brian mentioned with DNA but also from a very practical sense can if you took a We'll say in this case, a brown bear and a grizzly bear allowed them to breed. Would they, first of all, produce viable offspring, offspring that can survive, you know, uh, the full uh, gestation period, be born and be healthy and, and living? And two, when that organism, that offspring becomes mature, sexually viable, is it actually sexually viable, meaning that it can reproduce successfully, have young that can reproduce, and on and on? If so, then those two organisms are said to be the same species. So, you know, there are some some animals out there, you know, like uh, the whole mule situation. You get a, uh, a jack donkey and a, uh, I believe it's a, uh, a mare horse, breed them together, and you get a mule. Mule itself is a hybrid, cannot reproduce, but uh, it it is uh, considered a hybrid at that at that point. So that's part of that that delineation there too. So then, why why the the difference? Well, because people like Brian who have to deal with these critters, they notice <laughs> some some differences in 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 other areas. May could be could even be some physical differences, like you know you have like a like the whole coos deer whitetail deer situation where there's mm-hmm. a serious size difference could be a bit slight behavioral or or demeanor difference or something like that but um it's it's yep. basically just a nomenclature thing to kind of group those different characteristics in a more usable way to the people who have to interact with them on a regular basis so that yep. that that kind of makes it brings it all together there but all that was a was kind of a drawn out sidetrack from uh, if you can name the person whose dream hunt is either brown bear or grizzly bear hunt, 
in Alaska can just send me that that message of that name. I'll uh, the first person I hear from, I will send them a uh, uh, first gen hunter decal. Maybe the second person too, just because I love you guys. But but you know, I can't <laughs> can't break the bank here either. You know, I can't send out a million of those things. Remember when that NBA player said, if if uh, I think it was if the Cavs win the finals, I will buy everyone who retweets this a LeBron jersey or something like that. And like, yeah, like 80,000 people retweeted it. (laughs) So I don't want to get myself into that, paint myself into that uh, corner, but yeah, first, first two people can name that got yourself a decal. Well, you know, you're, you're hunting here in, in the last frontier, the Brooks ranges you said for, for grizzly and brown bear. Um, first of all, what's the tag drawing process like, to, to pick one of those up in Alaska. You said that the grizzly are pretty prevalent once you get up to the area where you guys are hunting. So are, is it pretty much, you know, if, if you have the nerve to get out there and hunt grizzlies, you're going to be able to probably draw a tag pretty easily at a pretty reasonable price, or is it going to be more of a holy grail hunting doll sheep type of situation where not a lot of tags and pretty pricey if you get one? Um, yeah, so it, it can vary based on the area that you are wanting to try to hunt in Alaska, but for the most part, the, um, the barrier to entry for these hunts is, is the cost and not in terms of the tag. So for instance, where we hunt inland grizzlies in the Brooks range, um, Dave hunts them in the spring. He's there now. Uh, he's sent me a couple messages on the inreach to both of his guys that he had got really nice grizzly bears with him. Um, and then, yeah, and then we'll hunt them in the fall. Um, so in that area, the, the tag is, you just buy the tag over the counter. Hmm. Um, but as a non-resident of Alaska, you are required by the state of Alaska to hire a registered master guide Hmm. and outfitter to take you grizzly bear hunting. Um, Hmm. Which is a good thing. Um, there's yeah, a lot I would of, say I would say so. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of residents of Alaska who who go and you know hunt grizzlies every year and you know don't hire have a guide. Um, but for somebody coming from the lower 48, you're required to do that, and that ends up being that ends up being significantly, uh, pretty significantly priced. So hmm. when somebody hmm. wants to do a grizzly hunt or a brown bear hunt. The first thing that they that they'll need to take into consideration is how how it fits into their budget, and that and that yeah. would be with any of the species in Alaska that you have to hire a guide. So, like for instance, in the lower forty eight, we don't have much of that. If you can get a tag, you pretty much can go hunt it on your own. Um, mm-hmm. But but in Alaska, they um, you know Alaska that's their main resource and that's their main. that's their main driver of their economy. So Mm -hmm. having people take people out on hunts and some of these hunts are significantly different when you're talking about hunting brown bears, grizzlies, um, doll sheep. Um, it's, it's, it's good for people to have somebody that really knows the area and knows what they're doing. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the, the, the barrier of entry is definitely first going to be the cost. So decide if it's in your budget. And I would say, on average, uh, an inland grizzly hunt is going to run you somewhere between eighteen thousand to twenty one thousand hmm. dollars. Wow! 
Yeah. And then depending on where you want to go brown bear hunting and like Ken, you were mentioning the uh, physical differences. So where we hunt grizzly bears, a gigantic grizzly bear inland because of their access to what they're eating and, and just how they live and, and the environment, you know, is what plays into their size and weight. Um, you'd be looking at if you, if you shot a four to 500 pound, eight foot inland grizzly, that's going to be a giant. Hmm. So the average, the average bear is going to probably be a seven foot, you know, 400 pound, 300 pound bear. Hmm. Um, so a lot like a gigantic grizzly or a gigantic, uh, black bear might be. That's interesting. Yep. So, um, but brown bears, uh, below that 60 second parallel line can be drastically different. So Hmm. can be 11 feet tall and weigh 1200 pounds. Whoa, man. that that would be a giant bear. That would be um, like a, a a record book bear. But even there, your average bear is going to be you know eight or nine feet and probably six, seven, eight hundred pounds, depending on where where you're hunting. So um, those those hunts are usually significantly more expensive as well. Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, that's that's always kind of the barrier for entry. So you, it, tag allocation is generally pretty easy. Like even doll sheep in our area, uh, Dave, the gentleman that I hunt with, he's a vendor, so he he can just sell you the tag. But, oh wow! Oh wow! But the sheep hunt is twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, you're so, you're paying for the trip of a lifetime. I mean, that's yeah. That's, and some people don't take into consideration most good outfitters that you go with the bush flight in and out of the country is included in the price. And, and like for us, that bush flight cost is significant and it's, it's included in the price. Um, so it's, I mean, we're talking $5,000, uh, wow. for, yeah. for, for the bush flight in and out of there. So yeah, that's, um, if somebody's really wanting to do that, it, that would be the place to start and then find some resources to find some really good outfitters and guides. Uh, Dave always says this and I say the same thing. Go uh, find references. Like if if uh, if the guide has been doing it for a while, you need to go and ask him the people that have hunted with him and call them. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, to see, um, because like you say, you are, you're spending a, a heavy chunk of money and it's a trip maybe of a lifetime for some people. You want to make sure you're with the right person and then, and then having the realistic expectation that even, even though you're spending that amount of money and you're with a professional, it doesn't necessarily mean that it, you know, the, the ultimate goal will happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a, that's, that's a, a, that's a really tough pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, gotta, that's gotta put a lot of pressure oh, on you as a guide too, knowing that, uh, that that could happen. So yeah. 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 I, it, some of the hunters I've had conversations with, um, we haven't had very many guys during the time that I've been doing it that didn't get their animal. Um, but one comes to mind and, you know, he's bummed and, and I said, you know, believe it or not, and I, and believe me, this sounds crazy because you've invested this money, but, um, you know, I I wanted you to get one probably just as bad as you wanted to get one because yeah, um, it's it's we're in it together. When you're doing those kind of hunts up in that wilderness, that secluded, you you become there's like a camaraderie that that you you kind of 
nestle into that you feel like you're you're kind of doesn't really matter who pulled the trigger you both you both killed it you know yeah Uh, absolutely it's it's really a an interesting thing just because there's just a lot of especially with the sheep hunting there's a lot of turmoil involved in sheep hunting (laughs) to to put it mildly (laughs) yeah yeah i imagine so you gotta climb way up in there and and uh maybe not see anything yeah Yeah, that's for sure but with bears with bears they're they're generally a good rule of thumb with bears is um for legality because you can't shoot you know you can't shoot cubs and you can't shoot sows with cubs so um, a good, and this, this stands for black bears. If you go to out West for a black bear, um, watch the bear. And if the bear is alone and, and make sure it's alone, uh, then, then, then generally that, that's a legal bear to take. Um, okay. so, you know, if it's, if it's alone, it's, it's probably not a cub. If it's alone, it's not a sow with cubs, you know? So, um, obviously we're trying to, we're trying to take, you know, uh, large, older males out of the population, but with, with, with black bears, it's, you can sometimes tell a little easier, but with grizzlies or brown bears, it's literally almost impossible to tell the difference between a, uh, a boar and a sow. Hmm. That's that's a good little, that's a good little tip there. Yeah. A lot of people will say that they can. Um, but I've taught, you know, I've been talking to guys who've been doing this their whole life and they still make mistakes. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yep, you know, for sure. Caribou, elk, moose, antelope, coos deer. Trophy whitetails, oryx, sika deer, doll sheep, and mule deer. What do all these critters have in common besides their delicious backstraps? They can't all be hunted in the same state, meaning that at least one of these game species will require you to purchase a non-resident hunting license and tag in order to hunt them. Now the rules of the tag application game are wildly diverse from state to state. And if you are looking to complete a bucket list hunt, you are going to want some help to make sure you are setting yourself up for the best opportunity possible. And that's where tag application and hunt planning agent, Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts can really help you out. If you've listened to any of the episodes we've had here on the First Gen Hunter podcast with our buddy Alex, then you know there isn't anyone who cares more about the details of tag acquisition than him. Alex not only will help you through the hoops of the tag application process, but he will also help you plan the details of your trip that will get you where you need to be in order to have your best chance at filling your tag. And he is offering a 10% discount for First Gen Hunter podcast listeners such as yourself. All you have to do is purchase a service through his website, alexgruen.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N.com and use the code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and you will receive 10% off the hunt of your lifetime.
Well, we're kind of talking about it right now, Brian. You're you're really mentioning here when we're talking about how do we identify which animals even legal to shoot at, which, you know, that's the nice thing about being a deer hunter is the antlers are kind of a nice little giveaway there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for antlers, you know, you get to that time of the year after the, the bucks have shed and you see a deer feeding out in a field or something and uh, they aren't, they aren't growing their velvet antlers yet. And uh, a lot of people be like, I don't know if that's a buck or a doe out there. Uh, it's kind of that situation all the time for, for bears. So I'm glad you, uh, <laughs> you, uh, cleared that up for us. That's, a, that's an important, uh, thing to consider there. But, um, you know, along these same lines, just some practical, uh, tips, you know, so apply here now, as, as you said. And I think it's also important that listeners know this too. As of now, uh, the only place you can legally hunt grizzly or brown bears, although I think everywhere else, as you stated, they're just called grizzlies. Um, so grizzlies are present in the lower 48. There's grizzlies in Montana. There's grizzlies in, uh, um, I believe there's grizzlies in Wyoming. Um, there's talk, some rumors that people have maybe spotted or something like that. I think I've heard some in Colorado, although there's been no no confirmation of that uh, to the best of my knowledge. And uh, there are grizzlies in, there's grizzlies in Idaho, right? Is that, is mm-hmm. that, is that grizzly yep. country? And yep. um, trying to think, Washington or Oregon, do, do either of them have any grizzlies there? There's plenty, um, of, I- plenty of salmon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, actually, about Washington or Oregon. But, um, but anyways, the idea is they're here, but you can't hunt them. That's kind right. of a, a point of contention because they've, in most places where they're found, they've kind of surpassed their population goals there that was set out when uh, their populations were, were trying to be recovered and restored mm-hmm. in, these, in these areas, and uh, people can't hunt them. And, and what's interesting is – there's, you know, just as with everything else, there's all sorts of, I guess you could almost say conspiracy theories out there that more, and I actually think that, you know, personally, they're from just a biological standpoint, there could be some truth to this. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's been more bear attacks, uh, more bear attacks on humans because they're not viewing humans as a threat in the lower 48 because you can't hunt them. And uh, so the only bear that gets killed in the lower 48 is because it's about ready to start chewing on your skull. So <laughs> you, uh, yeah, right. you, uh, you know, don't have that, that, what do they call it? A landscape of fear effect for, uh, for, um, or fear of man for, for grizzlies in the lower 48. So it's kind of a controversial thing. So, all that to say, if you want to hunt grizzly or brown bear, you got to go to Canada and uh, or you got to go to uh, Alaska. And if you're going yeah. to Alaska, you're going to be hunting with a guide. So they're going to kind of take care of some of this stuff with you um, or, or for you. But maybe you're tuning in this and you're an Alaskan native and you don't have to play by the same rules that all of us Iowegians and Delawareans ha- have to uh, uh, play by. But um, what... You know, if if somebody's out there, they're sitting on a, a slow. I assume this is all spot and stock style hunting, Brian, for for grizzlies and brown bears. Um, there there are places that you can bait grizzlies and brown bears in Alaska, but the the area that we hunt in is all spot and stock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, if somebody was there, first of all, you know, maybe tell us from the perspective of where you're at there in the Brooks Range. 
what kind of country are people seeing these in? Is it mostly just that tundra, you know, what do they call it? Is that the northern steppe or the northern slope or something like that? Um, where where uh, you know, it's all kind of that that real low ground level scrubby plant cover there and and uh, i think there's a lot of caribou that hang out up there and kind of migrate around um mm-hmm. is, is that what the landscape is or are there some like you know some boreal forest remnant uh you know scrubby little trees and stuff that that they're using for cover and you're you can use this cover as a hunter to kind of get to a you know hidden vantage point in glass or what what exactly is the situation there with with the landscape and then how spot and stock factors into that yeah so the the two areas i've hunted uh grizzlies in the brooks range and then brown bears um in uh in an area close to um, Antioch or Dillingham, Alaska would be the two kind of closer, um, native villages. So okay. that is a little bit closer to the coast. So it, down by the coast, it's going to be a lot of, there's, there is going to be some, uh, there are, is going to be some tree cover, uh, alders, um, uh, you know, spruce trees, just, there's going to be a, a lot of, a lot of tree cover and then patches of open tundra. So it makes mm-hmm. spot and stocking a little bit easier, um, because you've, you've got some structure to kind of hide behind and, yeah. uh, but at the same time, locating bears a little bit more difficult because there is a little more cover. So sure. in the, in the Brooks range, um, it's, it's fairly straightforward. All of those all of those mountain streams and main river valleys are almost like highways to bears. Hmm. So they're basically walking. I mean, they can go anywhere. I've seen, I've seen a bear. I spooked a bear out of a, out of a Creek, uh, walking on my own one time. Uh, a, a grizzly was probably 20 yards away from me and I didn't know when I stepped across a Creek and he was drinking upstream of me about 20 yards. And oh. when, when he saw me, <laughs> yeah, we, we met, we, we locked eyes and he, um, I immediately kind of stepped out into the tundra on the other side to kind of try to create a little space. And, um, and he had already started running in the opposite direction and he ran literally up the side of a mountain, hit the snowpack and went over the ridged over the top of the mountain and disappeared. <laughs> oh man. Wow. And so powerful, I mean, and watching, you know, and knowing how it is to climb those mountains, that was yes. the most incredible feats that I've ever seen. He didn't even <laughs> take a break. I mean, he just yeah. went up and over the top of the mountain. So they don't necessarily like to do that. Obviously they like to be down in those river valleys and, you know, they're going to scavenge a moose carcass or a, or a caribou carcass, uh, or, or kill a caribou or moose down mm-hmm. in in places like that. So, um, so we glass them usually get a little bit of a vantage point. We usually glass them, you know, running the rivers. Um, and then, and then we'll mainly, it, they're usually on the move. So we try to cut them off. So we kind of sure. see which way they're headed and, uh, and then try to cut them off and, and get, make sure the wind's right, obviously first mm-hmm. and, and then cut them off and, uh, and hopefully get within, we'll try to tell our guys we don't like shooting bears past 200 yards for sure. Hmm. Um, mm. not, not grizzlies. They just, they have a will to live in a, and a, and a, obviously, a 
a power and a strength that's a little bit different than than some other animals and um yeah you know so we actually even train down the hunter will train his rifle in on you know maybe laid across his pack and then i'll i'll also uh uh you know have my rifle at the ready to follow up shoot so Mm-hmm. Um, I just make sure that the hunter, he shoots his bear and he, he hits his bear and then, um, and then, and then it's a free for all from there because we want that bear. We don't want that bear to go very far or get into a little alder thicket. Um, it's all dwarf Arctic willow birch alder up in that area. So it's smaller, but they can, they can get in there and kind of nestle in and hide themselves if, if they're wounded. And mm-hmm. so you don't want that at all. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. That's that's kind of what it, what it would be. If I were to tell somebody, you know, that wants to do their first bear hunt outside of black bear hunting, I would, I would point them towards a spring Arctic grizzly bear hunt because you're gonna, you're gonna go up into a very unique landscape, um, where, where our base camp is, where our, where our plane drops us off on the tundra is the last scattered trees, um, to our South. You can kind of see them to the South and then everything North of there, there's no trees anymore. So, um, these bears are kind of in the wide open, which doesn't give Mm -hmm. you just to hide, but it gives you a lot of options and in how to get, um, you know, navigate it into a place where, where you can cut them off. So I, w- I would suggest that hunt mainly because on that spring hunt, you're going to see, depending on again, who you're with in their area. But like for Dave, our hunts, um, guys see 10 to 12 in the spring, 10 to 12 different bears a day. Wow. Oh wow. man. Oh my goodness. That yeah, is, that is awesome. Yeah. There's a ton of, of them up there. So that's the other thing. If anybody ever says, you know, shouldn't be hunting grizzly bears, you know, they're endangered. Well, in the lower 48, you know, you can say what you want about their population here, but in Alaska, they're, they're trying to, you know, they, 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 they want grizzly bears taken out of the population. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I want to address that side of it too, you know, a little bit at the end here, cause, cause, you know, as much fun as we're having talking about bear hunting, there's a lot of people who want want it to be totally ended <laughs> and yeah. uh there's mm-hmm. there's good reason for why it shouldn't be yeah yeah but but um you know one other thing here that that I think is probably the elephant in the room for everyone listening into this one and even myself included here is yeah but what if it charges you <laughs> what if it wants to eat you what do you what is your <laughs> you know from from a a guy who sees 10 to 12 of these a day for 40 days straight um of hunting i'm sure you have a certain comfort level you know like you have a range in your in your head you probably couldn't necessarily say what exactly that range is because it, it varies based on the circumstance but but um there whenever your uh red light starts flashing in your brain it's probably a lot later in the game than it is for <laughs> for a guy from iowa who uh who gets uh, gets <laughs> off the airplane and probably has paranoia the first <laughs> or the first step he takes <laughs> but uh um you know from from a guide standpoint and I've had debates about this with friends before, you know, oh, if I'm in grizzly country, I think the best, the best bear defense gun would be, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, what are you what are you doing for those situations when you hop over a creek and whoa, bear? Do you have do you believe in carrying a gun? Do you believe in carrying spray? Do you believe in carrying both? Do you believe in playing dead? <laughs> that's a that's a really good So if the bear if the bear and and I'm saying this not based on what I think that I could muster up, but what you're supposed to do is if a bear gets on you, you're supposed to just cover the back of your neck, get in a fetal position, try to stay face down. Um, it really helps if you have a backpack on because hopefully they're going to do most of their damage on that. Mm. Um, but a lot of statistics have been thrown around about that. It, it seems like for the most part, when a grizzly attacks a human, they're not trying to kill you. Um, usually it seems like they're trying to establish dominance and in, in the process of establishing dominance, they're so much more formidable and strong than we are that they end up killing people. So sure. you, you don't find a lot of, um, grizzly bears eating people. So, um, I heard, I heard an old guide friend say this, if you get attacked by a grizzly, uh, try to try to stay in the fetal position, cover the back of your neck, and not move. And 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 mm. you know see, he, he might leave you alone. If a black bear attacks you, you need to fight with every ounce of being because they're doing it because they're going to eat you. Mm. That's um, interesting. That, that sounds kind of cut and dry, but a lot of times, a lot of the bear attacks you hear about that don't have to do with cubs being involved um, are of black bears are they're actually they they eat they eat the person so um it seems like that may have been why they did that and and bears i think when you spoke to this about the kind of the the argument or some of the distress about killing bears i can i can completely understand to a degree and i think i think what it is i think it's the same thing with wolves and it's it's um it's that for a predator to kill a predator is 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 a is a very different thing Hmm. And, um, and that's, well, that's one of the things watching these bears and, and being a part of killing them and, uh, and being in close proximity with them that you do feel, I feel very different about when I see a grizzly bear than I do a caribou or a moose. Uh, it's almost like it's almost, you know, not in a weird way, you know, um, but in, in a way it's almost like we have a little bit more of a connection to them. And when, when you see them, you can see them processing and working things out. It, whether, whether you kind of just can see it in their habits or their posture, they are definitely, they seem to be a lot more with it. They don't only have a, a flight response. You know, right. they, they have a, what would seem like, and again, it, it's probably more instinct than this, but it seems like they have a reasoning out of things like, um, and I've got a bunch of examples of stories that that have happened in Alaska that I've watched bears do and think, man, that is just so person-like, the way they're acting. Um, you know, just flipping over rocks to eat bugs and breaking apart, you know, old uh, rotted logs to eat bugs and using, you know, sitting back on their butt like, the, like we would sit down and have a picnic. You know, just very, very interesting yeah. You know, so I think, I think, I think I don't have, um, I don't have any ill will towards people who, who, who disagree with bear hunting. Um, but I, but I just know that 
based on what biologists tell us about about areas with grizzlies and with a lot of grizzlies, it, it is good to maintain a healthy population. And especially, a lot of people don't realize that those big boars in the spring are 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 running around on those river bottoms, and really what they're looking for are little cubs to eat. Hmm. So, um, because they know if they can eat cubs. Uh, then the female will probably come back into heat and then they can breed her again. And it's kind of a vicious cycle, uh, very animalistic. We would view it as vicious, but it's just how they are. Sure. Um, but there, there, there's a lot that go into play with that. But I think, uh, yeah, I think with, with grizzly bears and brown bears, um, I, I live by the idea that if you can carry both spray and a gun, um, that's probably overall the best. Although I say that with just some hesitation because I know a, a very, very well-versed hunter in Montana that I've created a relationship with now uh, after going there some years, uh, who's been, li- grew up and lived in grizzly country his whole life. Um, and he's only carried spray his whole life. Hmm. Uh, and he's a bow hunter. Um, and he actually had a, he had an, uh, a time, uh, two years ago, I think now that he had to give a sow grizzly that had three cubs, his full can of spray at about five feet. Whoa. And, um, and she turned tail and ran the other way. Um, and usually, usually when cubs are involved, that's not the case. So, you know, the spray worked. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, the, The issue that I have when it comes to guiding, the issue that I have with only having a firearm is say, you know, say the three of us were hunting in Alaska. And so we're, we're, we cross down into this river bottom and then we get into some thick area and there happens to be a grizzly bear laid up in there that we didn't know. And maybe, maybe, maybe we were downwind of him. So he didn't smell us. Maybe he thought we were a moose coming through the, the alders or, you know, whatever. Um, and let's say, you know, Kent, let's say he jumped on you. Um, not, not, you know, to, well, let's pick me. Let's say he, he jumped, he <laughs> no, jumped I, on I, I'll be, I'll be the, I'll be the bear bait here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he jumps on you and the, and Brandon and I, the only thing we have are, are, are pistols or, or our rifles. Um, and, and let's just say that that bear's not stopping with the hollering and, you know, whatever. Now our only choice, the only choice we have available to us to save your life is to shoot um, at you while shooting mm. at the bear. That's a great point. And, and I've actually, there's a few stories that I've had guys in Alaska tell me of, of this happened and a, a black bear got on a guy and the guide shot the black bear and the, the round passed through and, um, and hit the guy in the arm. And actually, luckily he lived, but his, his arm had to be amputated. Oh man. Um, so you can imagine, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's something that, that, almost never happens but i would say if you had the option to have a firearm and spray that would probably be best the other problem with a firearm like a pistol um uh, another old guy told me um unless you're a navy seal um you're probably not going to have the cool calm and collected uh approach to draw your firearm with a 500 pound you know, predator, um, closing the distance, you know, could close the distance in 40 yards in under two seconds and make a, a shot 
that is is going to stop that threat. Mm. So he said, unless you are extremely proficient with with a sidearm, it almost doesn't do you any good because you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to use it in the in in that case anyway. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know I can't imagine what that feeling would be like to see a bear on a on a dead run and you only have a couple seconds and um and and the idea I think would be that if you shot it in the shoulder, um then you probably aren't going to survive the attack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, cause th- there's something about bears too, that they know when they're wounded and their attitude changes, mm. you know? So That's... it goes from, it goes from just beating you up to, Oh, now, now you're trying to do me harm. Yeah. Now you're uh, showing, now you're trying to assert your dominance. Right. And, and... Right. and the only reason we have any dominance is because of technology. If it wasn't for <laughs> uh we wouldn't be at the top of the food chain yeah that's that is for certain well that's good to know it's good to hear your perspective now i do have one last lingering question with that what is your so on the firearm side of it what do you prefer to have for a firearm um a lot of guys will talk about uh carrying a, a 10 millimeter um and the reason that they like that is because they've got it usually comes in a format that that uh, allows them to have more rounds than a revolver. Sure. Um, but uh, a forty-four Magnum is you know, and a revolver is 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 pretty hard to beat. Um, I carry a to Smith and Wesson. Uh, it's called the Ultralight PD. It's made out of an alloy. It's like almost like if I were to hand it to you. Um, it's a 44. And if I were to hand it to you, you'd immediately, you'd think maybe it's a toy. Um, (laughs) that's how, that's how light it is. The issue with that is that it kicks like a mule. Yeah. I Um, bet. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, that's more the the guide that I work for wants me to carry that on me. So I, so I do. Um, but, but I also carry spray and I carry spray right underneath my, um, bino harness. Sure. Um, and and it actually is uh, the the harness is made by a company called FHF, and they have a they've got a canister mount that mounts right below your harness, so you don't even actually actually have to pull the spray out of the out of the uh, uh, harness. You can actually just pull the safety and spray from right on your chest. Um, so you know you can obviously pull it out if you have time, but if it's real quick, you could just you could just you know pull it. But I do carry a a 44, um, in a holster on my, on my pack belt. Um, Dave, Dave, uh, his, his thought is he's like, yeah, I believe spray works too. But, um, if something happens where the only way that you have to survive is that you have to kill the bear, then, then you need to have that, uh, that, uh, avenue as well. So I, I, I I do respect that because it, it does linger in the back of your mind. You get used to it and, it's funny seeing even that many bears, you really even start to not even think about it. Um, just because, and you, you touched on this, um, it does seem like bears, grizzlies in the lower 48 have a different attitude about humans than even up there. Up there, as few people as those bears see, they are extremely wary of people. And when they smell you or see you, they are gone. I mean, dead sprint barely even turning around to look and see what's going on. They are gone. And that, that isn't always the case, uh, in the lower 48 here. So there's gotta, it's gotta be something to do with the, the predator on predator, uh, 
type of deal. They don't they don't maybe see us as predators as much as they need to down here. Yeah, there's a lot of guys out there saying amen to that. I think that, and I I I agree with it. The the guy that I actually heard that from was I've actually talked about him on here before. I met him in uh, Vail, Colorado, and he goes up to Wyoming and helps. He's not a hunter himself, but he he's a shed hunter, and he also helps a lot of friends that do elk hunt, and he uh, packs out elk meat for his friends. And uh, so he was he was uh, telling me that that uh um when grizzlies hear that gunshot go off it's he he likened it to a dinner bell you know they know mm-hmm. there's now a they know they know there's an elk carcass on the ground and it's a race to who gets to it first and uh he he uh he was he was uh telling me that right after a, a guide in wyoming a few years ago was was killed with his client survived, but but he was killed out near Jackson Hole, I believe, is where that was. But um, yeah, pretty uh, pretty uh, serious considerations there. But man, so much to unpack here. Um, you know, I think we've 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 covered this as well as we can in a two hour podcast. But but um, you know, before we we wrap this one up, put a bow on it. Um, contact outdoors. I think it's uh, an important channel for people to seek out and and uh, you know uh, in, enjoy uh, everything that you guys have to offer there. Uh, the website is contactoutdoorsmedia.com, correct? It is. Yep. 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 So make sure you head there. I think you can find that through Brian's uh, social media pages. Uh, you, there is an Instagram page. You guys also have a Facebook page too. Um, we do, we do have a Facebook page. Yep. Yep. We, we just don't, we don't use it too much, but we, we do have one. Um, we, we need to get back to using it some, but we, we <laughs> and using it very much. Hey, it's hard to keep up with the content, you know, that's, oh, I know. Yeah. I know. But, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a good resource to have out there for everyone. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you seek it out. And, uh, of course, get on Instagram, follow Brian there and, uh, you'll enjoy flipping through all of his pictures. He's got all sorts of great stuff up there from his, uh, his hunting conquests through the years. And it sounds like just a small sampling of, uh, everything that he gets to see and do while he's out there uh, as a guide in, in Alaska. So, well, Brandon, any, uh, last, uh, burning questions before we hang this one up i know it's getting kind of late there on the eastern seaboard well yeah i mean you know just another example of you know talking about these adventures and you know it's cool to see the reiteration of you know his you know ryan's evolution from starting with black bear in montana and you know and now guiding you know, grizzlies in Alaska. I mean, so it's, it's, you know, for, for those, just like you mentioned a little bit ago, Kent, you know, for those who are interested in a, in a more doable hunt that maybe, you know, it's financially possible for them where they're at, you know, it, they're here, like you mentioned, you know, they're, they're, they're accessible. Um, and just, I mean, it makes me, you know, it is like the classic, you know, growing up, like my dad was always, you know, this is probably a lot of guys growing up that, that, you know, had family members that were in the outdoors. My dad, I remember my dad saying, man, it's just my dream to go to Alaska, you know? And I mean, he was, he wanted to do a hunt in Alaska. He wanted to do a cruise in Alaska, whatever. And it's, I feel like that's the same way. So I feel like, you know, at some point as, as we continue to, to make plans for things, I mean, 
Alaska, how can Alaska not be on your, on your bucket list to do, you know? So, I mean, I'm just like, (laughs) every time we have a conversation, especially with someone who really knows, you know, the area and whatnot, you just can't help, but just your imagination's going and you're just thrilled to even have the possibility to get up there. And just so cool to hear Brian and and how everything kind of happened with him being able to get the opportunity and everything. I mean, so just so cool and man, just cool to hear someone else's adventures and how, things of all for them and man already looking forward to expanding my horizon beyond uh beyond delaware you know slowly work our way west and maybe one day end up in alaska <laughs> yeah yeah I, I couldn't couldn't say it better myself once again brandon that's uh that's exactly how i feel well thank you so much for everyone for joining in again head over to contact media contact outdoorsmedia.com and again uh, find brian on Instagram and enjoy watching those uh, films that they've put together. Uh, the respect black bear hunt isn't the only one. Uh, there's other great videos there that you can check out too on the website. Uh, be sure to also check out Brandon and his brothers and cousin, and what they have going on there with their hunting mentorship and their uh, food plot prep for the spring and early summer. And uh, just uh that saltwater fishing that we're all envious of uh you can find yes. all that link link up with them <laughs> on thehuntfishlife.com and then uh, keep tabs on me and what i've got going on over at firstgenhunter.com and, and again of course instagram facebook go wild follow me you know leave reviews on apple podcasts and wherever else you can leave podcast reviews that helps us out too and uh, don't forget if you know who we were talking about in this episode send me a message or if you got any other encouraging words or hey here's a good tip for everybody you know send them along might feature you in an episode but thank you again brian for joining us on this interview (laughs) and uh, thank you brandon for giving up your evening and uh, to everyone listening thank you so much for your time we love you can't wait to talk to you again in a week and until then Be sure to take care and take someone hunting.